Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. Hello, Dreamfesters. Welcome to the Dreamfest podcast. This is the show, of course, where we speak to a special guest and find out who would make their Dream Festival lineup. Don't forget you can sign up to the Patreon at patreon.com slash dreamfestpod, where you'll get this episode before anybody else, and you'll also get bonus questions and content with my guest this week, who is a singer, a multi-instrumentalist, and a film score composer. He is the fabulous... Daniel Finmore. You may already know Dan from his work with Swamp Meat Family Band and Low Cut Connie, but he's a man of many fingers in many pies and many irons in many fires. Please remember to share this podcast if you can so more people can hear it. You can, of course, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter and on Instagram using at DreamFestPod. I'll be back with some handy links at the end, but for now, let's sit back, relax and curate the Dream Festival lineup of Mr. Dan Finmore. Enjoy. I've sort of straddled that line between film and an academic study of film and music for many, many years. It's only recently where I've been involved in film production, so I've sort of co-produced a couple of shorts in the last few years. I'm halfway through a PhD, which is going to have a documentary, but even more recently has been the film scoring stuff that me and Rich have been involved in. We're currently scoring a project which is set and filmed in Birmingham, which is a feature. It's been really interesting. It's something that me and Rich have wanted to do for a long time. And um, we're lucky enough to, you know, during the, the winter lockdown, we've had this project to work on that has a deadline, which is looming. So on top of the teaching stuff, I've had that to do, but it's been really interesting and, 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 and lots of fun. And, and and hopefully we'll get more projects off the back of it because it's looking good. And I, it's, it's, it's about time that more features are being made here mm. um, because there's, there's such a wealth of ta- filmmaking talent in the region. And um, it's looking good. You know, the trailer's already gone to Berlin and uh, the film itself is going to Cannes. So, um, the pressure's on me and Rich because we're pretty much the last thing that <laughs> that are involved. Obviously, there's yeah. some there's some colouring and there's a re-edit and stuff like that and sound design. But um, obviously, the the, the 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 score is sort of one of the last thing that gets done. But we we were kind of we're fully ensconced and we're, we're happy with how it's going. So. Mm. so, can you tell me any more about the film? Is it is it yeah, a, is yeah. it a film I mean, set in Birmingham? Is it just being made in Birmingham? It's set in Birmingham. It's been made okay. in Birmingham. It's called Fixed. It's directed by Jez Alsop and it's written by um, Ryan Davis. The poster's gone out there, and the trailer's has gone out there. Essentially, it's about a guy who hasn't always made the right choices, and those choices find him in a cupboard after fixing a fight and having you know, uh, a sort of inner monologue with himself about the choices he's made whilst trying to escape from the cupboard. You know, there are, there are a lot of great actors in the film, but essentially it's carried by um, a wonderful actor called Nicholas Clark, who plays Daz Clements in the film. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to surprise a few people. And, and, and I think it looks beautiful. Gary Rogers, the DOP, uh, has done a wonderful job and and I think that not only is it very cinematic, but obviously it's written and directed extremely well. So it feels like a real thing. The fact that it's been shot in in Brum and and the set and and written, you know, f- from from that perspective, I think it's about Tom. I think there there needs to be more more of those things. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And it was, I mean, it was great when like Spielberg came to the city and did a bit yes. of filming. That was yes, brilliant, wasn't it? Of course, of course. You know, there's been a lot of talk for a long time, you know, with Stephen Knight and and people like that about, you know, developing the city as a hub, being in the middle of the country um, and and trying to sort of like share the wealth from London in terms of film production. I know that there's a lot of Netflix stuff happening in Bristol at the moment. I'm hoping that, you know, with the new studios that have been set up, um, we can capitalise on on the production because it's not just the... um, it's not just the studio, um, you know, and facilities. It's there's a lot of talent here in terms of 
whether it's writers, directors or DOPs or sound recordists or, you know, Annabelle Bevan's an incredible production designer. She's she's from Birmingham. It seems a waste to not use the talents there. I guess some of it is down to the fact that there that there aren't the facilities in terms of like sound stages, etc. That, that are here. But hopefully that will change. And it's nice to be a part of a film that is reaching, and it's it's very you know it's it's got it's got a lot of ambition about it in terms of you know the sales agent that's on board and Alan McQueen who who's producing. It, it seems like we're, the film's really trying to put itself out there as as um something that ho- hopefully will just be more than a Birmingham film. When I was watching Ready Player One, I was just constantly going, "Where's Birmingham? Where's Birmingham? Yeah. There it is! There it is! <laughs> There's Digworth. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of the jewelry court. I've been there. Yeah, what's on that road? <laughs> and also, I mean, did you see um, the King Rocker? Uh, yes, doc? yes, I did. Uh, fantastic. I mean, I've been a fan of Stuart Lee for a very long time. Uh, yeah, same. You know, obviously, he's incredible. And I, I, to be honest, I didn't really know that much about the Nightingales. But what a wonderful documentary! With music documentaries, the same way I feel about music biopics, sometimes, you know, when you know that the truth is not really there, it kind of loses its edge. But it had a warmth, that um, King Rucker documentary, and it felt like it was being made by people who really genuinely wanted to tell that story. And it was highly entertaining, which is obviously the main main reason why you make a film. Yeah, the sort of ethos of it as well is is this whole, is this idea that, Birmingham as a city kind of rejects its culture and doesn't celebrate itself enough. Yeah, so definitely. It's, so it's great that another film is coming out that's set in Birmingham, being made by people from Birmingham as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure when you when you finally get to see, which will be later this year, that there it's mainly, as I say, set in a warehouse and a cupboard. But there are a few moments around the jewelry quarter by the gem building and stuff that you can you can see and spot. And and it's just nice to have the the, the talent that are involved as well. You know, obviously, I'm I'm going to say this because I'm involved in the film. Um, in terms of like you know doing doing the score and and the original music, but you know there are a few moments recently when me and Rich have been working on it where we've been like, it just genuinely feels like a a, a real a real film uh, it, for, from all perspectives like cinematography, performances, writing, directing. Um, so I'm really excited that really excited to be involved in it and really excited for people to see. It. I was having a sort of a, a catch up with, with with some of your records actually. I mean to be honest. The last one, Muck, which I can see behind you. Yeah, it didn't leave my motion. Sorry, yeah, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) It didn't. I mean, it didn't leave my record deck for a lot of last year, anyway. So I I just want to say thank you to you guys for that. Like, you know, it 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 means it means an awful lot because obviously we 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 released it in the middle of lockdown. We were supposed to go to South by in March to to promote the record. We We had tours in Europe booked and. I actually haven't toured the UK that much with Swan Me because I was in a band a while ago called Local Connie and we were in America. So yeah. when I came back to England, I hadn't really toured the UK that much for, for a long time, but we had yeah. a lot planned with this record. And, you know, in conversations with the label Punk Slime about whether we were going to push it back, I'm, you know, I'm so glad we didn't now knowing what happened. Mm. But we decided to release it and... You know, it was it was a very strange and odd experience for us as a band to release this thing we were, you know, the, the thing we're most proud of. But I have to say, whether it's a captive audience because a lockdown, you know, on Apple Music alone, we've had like you know, hundred and fifty thousand streams, and you know, it's been it's been it's been really well received. But to have that validation from from you guys as well was was a wonderful thing for us because we are really proud of that record. When you said it hasn't hadn't left your record player. I've had a lot of that from different places, different points around the world. And that means an awful lot because we are really proud of Muck. And um, we're glad that other people are getting the joy out of it that, you know, that we, that we get from it as well. It's interesting you say it's like writing nursery rhymes when, when you, you talk about how your songwriting style. Yeah. I mean, nursery rhymes are supposed to be catchy, aren't they? So kids remember yeah. them. And, yeah. you know, that's one of the reasons it stayed on my deck because all the yeah. songs are catchy and I'm, I'm humming along with them every time and singing along yeah. with them every time. It's a great bit of work, so it was very easy for me to to leave it on the on the deck. To be honest, I wanted to talk to you actually about. Um, you mentioned Low Cook Connie then. Yeah. So I wanted to just to go back a few years and just because yeah. you've had an in, you've had an interesting career thus far. I mean, yes, you, it's been, it's been yeah, interesting. You, you spent you spent a long time out in the states. What um when when were you out in the states? So I met Adam from Low Cook Connie years and years ago in New York just by chance. He was playing in one of our one of our favorite bars in New York. There's sadly no longer there called the Lakeside Lounge. It's like Avenue A or Avenue B, one of those. And um, we, we met, and um, 
you know, he was performing and he, you know, it was really interesting. And then we just kind of stayed friends. He, he came over to the UK and we sort of, I put on a show for him at the Sunflower Lounge and we did a few gigs. And then we just decided that we were going to do maybe some recording together. Now, being a teacher at the time, I obviously had the summer holidays off. So I can't remember what year it was. I'm going to say 2009. I went over to the States for like a month and we ended up making the first local Connie record in, in, in a garage in Florida with one of the other band members at the time which was get out the lotion at the time it kind of when it went it was self-released we did we didn't it didn't have a, a label or anything and um it kind of like picked it, it got the attention of some really famous critics like robert crisco and from that moment it just kind of ballooned into into something else and i ended up sort of staying in the states for for, for a few years and i we, we ended up well I, I made three albums with them mm-hmm. um and wrote half the songs and adam wrote half the songs it, it was a very it was it was an incredible experience in some respects you know i got to literally play all over the states um for, for for five or six years and when we first started we were playing to two people in like you know dive bars and then towards the end we were playing like barry ballroom and we got to work with like people like tommy brennett from budos band who made high honey it was it was it, it was a roller coaster for a number of years and i got to work with some incredible musicians and and make some great music you know like it was, it was you know it was a very strange situation and 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 the way it ended wasn't fantastic but my time there and the opportunity that i had and the experiences that i had i wouldn't change for the world so much was learned in working in the studios and with the people i got to work with over there that has stuck with me and and i remember when we when i came back from the states and you know i was a bit bummed out about kind of the way things had gone and rich said to me we're going to make a record that record was too many things to hide and mm-hmm. he took me down to a studios in Edgebaston with toby wilson runs i took that ethos from what i'd done in the states and applied it to swap me for that reason like it, it, it was incredible and also you know at the time when i went over there i i I hadn't really been in a band where it was like full-time touring. And if you're going to tour in a band full-time, there's no better place to do it than the States because you can literally spend your whole year just touring the States. And we were lucky enough that we had enough of a fan base in the country, all over the country, that even if we were playing smaller venues, you know, I got to live out that kind of dream really and, 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 and play all over the States living out the back of a van for that I'm, I'm i'm very thankful because that was a wonderful experience wonderful mm. experience i was gonna i was gonna ask about why you came home mm-hmm. again, but i mean if, I'm, I'm i'm not gonna delve in that into that. no you can it's totally fine i, I mean, mean well it was just the low cook connie thing kind of blew up in 2015 didn't it when barack yeah. obama said he'd put booze yeah. on his yeah, spotify yeah. playlist but then i think you left was it that year or later that year? Was it? Uh, no, it was. I left in late 2016, so there was there was a record being made at the time and, and released and toured after that. You know, it it was kind of like we never had a label, and we never had the financial support from a label. And when you know, I, I was living on sofas, you know, in my mid 30s, and kind of enjoying it, but at the same time, it takes its toll. And I think it took its toll on the whole situation within the band as well. You know, it would have been nice to continue doing that. But if you aren't, you know, earning and you aren't supporting yourself, people don't always see that side of it. You know, people don't always see that, they, you know, it's almost like, you know, the, the Instagram world now where you can see one side of people's lives and not the other. Yeah. It's almost a bit like that because, yes, the touring was great and making records was great, but there comes a time, especially, you know, if I was in my early 20s, it would have been different, but, you know, being in, like, my, my mid-30s, there's a lot of pressures on a band when they're not supported by a label. Now I look back and, um, you know, I'm just really thankful and for, for the opportunity that, that, that I had. And also getting to make those records. I mean, the, the second record we made, um, Call Me Sylvia, which was made in the middle of nowhere, just outside Chicago. We went in the studio and it was all analogue, but it was just us in there. And that opportunity alone, before the Tommy Brennock stuff with Hi Honey, was incredible. And then working with Tommy Brennock on Hi Honey and, and just after the Black Lips had, had, had worked with him, you know, all those experiences I would have never got to have. So for, for, for all that stuff, I'm really thankful. And I learned so much, not just about 
touring but about making records really and mm. even like coming back and making these the last two records with swamp meat and p- probably particularly muck those records wouldn't have sounded the way that they do or or, or, or had the ambition that they that they, they they had if it wasn't for some of the experience that they had in the states so it, it, it was worth it it's definitely held you in good stead i mean the despite being over in the states i mean you still managed to f- put together the castilians right that was that that was sort of was that around the same time that you were in the states did you yeah well the castilians was kind of born out after the big bang so the big bang was a band that i drummed for in birmingham early 2000s and the castilians was the brainchild of matt smythe really who's the singer of uh, of the castilians and we were doing that around the same time that i was kind of thinking about going to the States and then when I was in the States and then when even when I moved to the States, when I was coming back, we were still making Castilians records. So even when I was in the States, I was still doing stuff when I came back. Mm. And, and I, I think if I remember rightly, the decision to make Swamp Meat a four-piece was still when I was in local Connie. And, and, and mm. so that decision partly came from, you know, working with, a bigger band and, and, and the ambition of having piano and, and different instrumentation. I think Swap Me was great as a two piece, but it all there was always a stop point. There was always like, right, okay, so all right, we can make a record and we can get different guest musicians to play these different parts. But when it comes to live, it's just me and T Bird. Yeah. And, and and I think for me, having worked with local Connie and worked with the Castilians and I just kind of all these things out in my head about what I wanted to do with the songs were never going to happen unless we had more musicians in the band. Even before Muck, when it was just the four of us without Jono, even on Too Many Things to Hide, like an integral part of the last two records, I have to say, has been Stuart Johnson with with, with the pedal steel. Yeah, yeah. Because Rich was the one who introduced me to to Stuart Johnson, and I, I, I mean, I'm not that I'm not really aware of any other pedal steel players in the midlands let alone one as good as Stuart johnston and uh, you know fortunately i've I've seen some of the best in nashville and and austin mm. when i've when i've been touring and having that opportunity has been amazing and and and, it, and it's been an extension with muck as well like getting Stu webb involved on keys um sam worcester involved on yeah. horns most records you make don't ever actually fully realize the thing you've got in your head but i would say that something like babies made of plans on muck got 95 percent there and 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 for that you know ma- making an album in sutton in the pro studios with the musicians that we had to hand like to get that close to what's in your head um you know i'm really proud of probably my favorite record of yours actually is is that element that it did feel like a collaboration and yeah it did feel like finally the family had arrived. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. um, you know, a huge part of that was down to like Tom and, and Greg, who who was in charge of production for that record, and and Ollie, and Ollie um, Overton, who worked very closely with the band for a long time to a raise the money to make the album because mm. you know we got a little bit of help off the label, but fund- fundamentally we were doing gigs to raise money for the record, which is fine. We we love doing that and. You know, every band member is just like, let's make a record. But when you're not making a record at your lockup, which I love doing, and you want to pay everyone, you know, you're talking at least a couple of grand. And then going to South by Southwest as well, which obviously never happened, unfortunately, but Ollie was intrinsic in, in, in helping us raise money for that, which never happened. But you are right in that there was a hell of a lot of collaboration just getting muck made. There aren't many songs on the record that I listen to and go, we actually didn't really get there. There are a couple of things that I would change, but predominantly when I listen to Muck, you know, I think that we we really nailed what was, you know, what we intended to do. You know, even from the first rehearsals, rehearsing things like Over Your Head. And, and um, I remember like getting back from the pub one night and recording in my phone the the melody to Ballarat Ghost and the chords and saying to the lads, you know, Morricone, you know, Mariachi. Mm. And what we did with it was even more than that. You know, the textures within that song, that instrumental, were were, ne- were never something that I intended. And it's so in that respect, it surpassed what we what what, what we were going to do. Yeah. Um, but I have to say that working, you know, 
t- uh, Tom Walker, who who worked with us closely on, on that record, and and Greg, um, who who engineered at Priory Studios. Um, we, we only we could only afford really to have a week in in the studio, and when and when you've been quite ambitious with what you want to do in terms of getting guest people in to play and having all these parts, you've got to be efficient. You've got to work quick. You haven't really got the time for a Fincher <laughs> approach <laughs> to takes or a Coldplay six months in a studio. So yeah. to to make it work under those conditions makes it even better. I think you know it may, yeah. it makes us even more proud of it because yeah. because we, we we did nail it. Let's take it back a little bit, even yeah. before you're in your first band. Yeah. What was your sort of musical upbringing like? What was the sort of music that was going on in your house at the time as a as a young Finnamore. So when I was growing up, I'm going to be brutally honest now. Go on in. My, my dad's music was amazing. Like he, he loved the faces and he loved the small faces and he loved Otis Redding. There was a wayward bit in the eighties where I'd remember driving back from family parties and there'd be Alison Moyet and there'd be simply red. Although I, well, I shouldn't probably admit this, but I have got a little, little soft spot for a couple of simply red songs, to be honest. I, I get called Mick Hucknall a lot. It's because <laughs> I, I I do I do a bit of singing here and there and wonderful all well, maybe the you can time. Guest on the new Swamp Meat record, mate. I'd love to, mate. <laughs> love to. Well, soul's my thing, so yeah, I could, I could add a bit of soulful Americana. I don't know. Wonderful. Yeah, um, but yeah, so, uh, almost so, without fail, uh, someone will come up and go, <laughs> Mick Hucknall. <laughs> So yeah. there was the, there, there was a but then my dad also li- loves the Cure right and I remember okay. my dad forcing me to listen to the Cure and obviously you know, the Beatles the soul music oh, it, there, there was good music around me when I was growing up the first record I ever obsessed over as a kid I remember buying from Woolworths in Northfield was um, the Four Tops and it was the theme from Buster another film Going Loco oh, dad, yeah, dad, yeah, yeah. yeah and like. And I just remember playing that record on repeat, and like once again, it must have been the melody because because I, I was must have been like when did like, I must have been like eight or nine, I don't know something like that. Buster was what early early eighties was it mid eighties yeah, early mid eighties? I think it was late eighties. I think it was it late eighties. Yeah. yeah, something like that. But then so th- there was that, that that there was that scene going on, you know. Bought do the Bartman on cassette from Woolworths as well. <laughs> but I remember the first the first band that I ever sort of the light bulb and changed the way I dress and changed everything was Nirvana for me. I remember going to some music shop and buying the tab book for Nevermind and buying a shitty Squire strap from Argus. That, 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 that was the first band for me. Uh, and then it was Oasis went to Nebworth. Still love Oasis. Whether that's going to get me shut down, I don't really care. It was Nirvana. Then it was kind of like, I guess, Brit pop scene. Uh, and then after that, really it was hip hop um you know sort of i mean the early hip-hop as well was always quite punk to me even when i was listening to like sort of like the, you know early 90s sort of mid 90s so eric b rakim and stuff like yeah, that was yeah. you used to love that as well or and, and you know obviously i was you know a little white kid from west east so it's the, the political angle and the the, the the social importance wasn't there but for some reason you know it, I, I loved it and then after that it was kind of it was Cold Royce, my early 20s. And then I got introduced to a world of music through Colton Wainwright, through Steve Baker, through Dave, who who are, you know, instigators of the Cold Royce scene. Alongside the Strokes and the White Stripes and all that kind of stuff that was going on, there was this there was this Cold Royce thing that was bands like Soledad Brothers, R.L. Burnside, stuff that was really, really underground, but that shaped my adult life in terms of music. So there was a mix, really. So growing up, I was exposed to some good music and then I found my own thing with Nirvana and hip hop and Oasis. But when I hit Cold Royce, it was kind of like I was exposed to this other world. And it was almost, it was like a, an epiphany because there was a lot of music that w- I would never have heard the underbelly. And it's not um, it's not that, oh, just because it's underground and just because not many people know about it, it's cool. It's genuinely good fucking shit. Like, my favourite, one of my favourite bands in the world is a band called Raining Sound. Greg Cartwright, who, who who's who's the lead singer and the writer in Raining Sound, he was in um, The Oblivions. Now, not many people know about Raining Sound, but they are incredible. And, you know, their album, 
too much guitar and uh, time bomb high school they are loved and respected but they're not in the mainstream but it's a it's a band that i always say to people go and check that out you know same with the black lips same with the strange boys there are so many bands that I would never have got to know and love and play with because of Cold Royce that changed my my whole approach to music. And the, the ethos and the sound of Swan Meat, particularly when it was the two-piece, mm. you know, w- 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 was definitely influenced, informed by a lot of that Cold Royce scene. So I've been lucky to have these stages, you know, in my life that have have taught me so much about about music. That's great. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned R.L. Burnside. Oh, God. Ask Pocket yeah. for the Whiskey Man. That's the oh, one. That's the one. Yes, love it. Absolutely love that record. Let's talk a little bit about live music then. Yep. Now, you might have heard this podcast before, I'm not sure. So you might have been able to perhaps pick out some cool gigs you've been to in the past. But do you remember the first gig you ever went to? Now, you've been honest already um, with some of your records. I do so remember the first gig I, I went to, and, it, yeah. and it's not cool, and it's slightly uh, embarrassing, but it, my dad bought me a ticket, and I went with my dad. And it was, it. it was Chris Rear at the NEC, <laughs> Road to Hell Tour. Absolutely. I think, I, I think, I think my dad's still got the programme somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But that, 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 you know, it, it was the height of the 80s megastar, wasn't it? So, yeah. But the first gig I went to on my own was Terravision at the Aston Villa Leisure Centre. Oh, a bit cooler. And uh, at the time, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> looking back now, not so much. Um, you know, I was I was listening to um, Steve Lamack not long back, a couple of, maybe a few weeks ago or something, yeah. in this very room, and he played Alice. What's the matter? And I thought, you know what, it's not it's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Too I bad. mean, there, there was an appeal there, you know, at the time. Yeah, there was an appeal there at the time. I think that the band I've seen the most. We're obviously moving towards the festival thing, but the band I've seen the most, who who I deeply love, who I haven't put on my dream festival because I've seen them so much, is Radiohead. You know, yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Radiohead, and I remember going to see REM in '95 on the Monster Tour, Milton Keynes Bowl, and it was REM, the Cranberries, L7, and Radiohead, and Radiohead went on first. And I think the, I've heard of this gig. I think yeah, someone else I've spoken to has been to that gig. The Benz came out like a week before this gig. Wow. And I still remember seeing Radiohead and and I didn't know much about them and I'm still really not a fan of Pablo Honey, but I remember mm. like seeing them and, 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 and them blowing my mind and, and they've blown my mind ever since, you know, and I, I just think that, and once again, you know, this is kind of thing with Radiohead where it's like, you know, they're posh boys or whatever and, you know, but for me, their melody's still impeccable. You know, even on something like Paranoid Android, which goes on for fucking seven minutes or whatever. The melody in it is just incredible, even though it's a weird, wonderful, bizarre piece of music. And I think for me, even on like, you know, the album Moonshaped Pool with the song that sounds like Neil Young, Daydreaming, there's still melody in there. And I think, I think that that's one thing that they do wonderfully. Yeah, it's like, it was like a sort of modern day symphony when that came out, I think. Oh, definitely. The thing I like, I mean, yeah, like you say, this, this whole, uh, they were from Oxford, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's sort of, it kind of diminishes their effects, but when you write melodies like that, and when you can play it with such delicacy, when it, it feels like it could break at any moment, but just yeah. keeps you on tenter hooks. Yeah. It doesn't matter where they're from. No, and uh, and you know they own it live, man. They own it. You can't. You know, no one can take that away from them. Like their mm. performance is just second to none. So yeah. I'm, a, I, no, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, me too. Me too. Me too. Do you remember? I mean. It, it's going back a while now because um, none of us have been able to go to gigs. But do you remember the last gig you went to before before all the, the lockdown stuff happened? I do, yeah. I mean, we played one of the very last gigs in Brum, didn't we? We, we played at the Hare and it was Swan Meet and Independent Country. But just before that, I went to see Supergrass ah. with, with a good pal of mine, Nick Wells. And that was incredible. I love Supergrass, so it was yeah, amazing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm a yeah. huge fan. I mean, I remember buying... Richard III on CD single from our price in once again in Norfield. I love Supergrass. I think they're incredible. And to see them just before lockdown was was great. Although I, you know, I, I really don't like the um, the O2s as venues personally. Mm. But seeing Supergrass just before lockdown was good. And I didn't catch COVID from the gig either. So that was a good. Bonus. That's a very good <laughs> bonus. I didn't realise Supergrass had sort of got 
back together in that, at that point. Because yeah, no, Gaz, Gaz Coombs had released a solo album just before that, hadn't he? I think. Yeah, they did, a, they, they did a, a greatest hits tour. Uh, and it was it, the part of it was before lockdown, and the rest of it was supposed to be at all the festivals over the summer. Mm. And um, I was considering going to one of those gigs, and I actually didn't. I think I don't think I got tickets for the for, for the Supergrass gig at the O2. I think it was the Institute. And then at the last minute, one of my pals, Nick Wells, said, "I've you know I've got a ticket," and so I ended up going. And it, they were amazing. You know, yeah. once again, like much, you know, like Radio, that they, them motherfuckers can play, man. Yeah, they really can. I right. saw them at uh, Keel University, I think it was. Uh, did a bit of a road trip up there. I think it was on their 15th anniversary. So it would have been about 2006 ish, I think. Yep. Maybe, yeah, about then. But yeah, they were absolutely great live. I think of the Britpop era, they're probably my favourite band, I think. Yep, definitely. They're one of mine as well. Those, the Long Pigs, I thought were fantastic as well. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Pulp as well from that time. Yeah. I, thought that, I thought they were wonderful. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, so last one now before we get to the nitty gritty of the festival. Mm-hmm. Best gig. Could be a tough one, but best gig. Best gig I've ever been to. Mm. I have to say, and much like the festival stuff, it's very difficult, these questions, because it's like <laughs> I could do 17 of these. Yeah. I'd be very drunk and it'd be a very long night and you've got kids. So, um, I, For me, the, one of the best gigs I've ever, ever been to is Tom Waits at the Edinburgh Playhouse on his Glitter and Doom tour. And you no. know, I, 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 was, I was working at Maverick Television at the time and I was phoning, right? Phoning, just to get through, get, you know, like, we, you know, to book tickets. And I got tickets and I went and um, it was, uh, what's the word? transcendent experience transcendent kind of experience yeah. it was wonderful it was wonderful like for me tom waits is up there with the, with the greats and to see him live and you know what he did he played take it with me take it is it take it with you or take it with me it's off meal variations he played mm. that song last and i was bawling like a child it was incredible I've never, uh, one of my biggest regrets is never getting to see Tom Waits live. Well, you still might, you know, you still might. I mean, when the last, when the last album album came out 10 years ago, and I was thinking, yeah. right, he's, he's going to do a world tour again now because this album's come I don't, out and it I never don't, happened. I don't know what his health's like. Like, I think that if, I think, mm. I think if his health, if his health is kind of, if his health's good, I mean, I, I don't know. Then I, I would assume that then, you know, that there might be that kind of like, I'm going to do one last tour. But um, it was fucking incredible. It was, inc- <laughs> it was incredible. I've got yeah. somewhere. I've got. I didn't buy a t-shirt and that shit, but I bought this little. It's like a book of confessions that he did, like a Catholic book of confessions that he did. Uh-huh. I've got that somewhere, so I'll dig it out for you next time we hang out. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Oh. Um, but yeah, it was it was amazing. That that that's. I mean, I've been to some incredible gigs, but that 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 is like uh, one of the ones that registers as being one of the best. So. Yeah, I think my uh, a friend I went to university with, and we we were in a band together. We played some tunes together. But uh, yeah, he went to that gig in Edinburgh as well. That glitter and doom one. I was so what jealous. a wonderful venue as well. The Edinburgh Playhouse. Yeah. Is it? He was like. We had those little binoculars, you know, used to game theatres that you oh, could. Oh yeah, it was it was wonderful. It was amazing. Oh, I didn't realise we'd have so much in common musically. To be honest, Dan. This, well, that's this, good. This, this is that's quite good. incredible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's 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 time now to get to the nitty gritty because okay. I've put on this festival. Yeah. And I've organised absolutely everything. I've done the invites, wristbands, stage lighting, food trucks, yeah. everything. And um, like an idiot, I forgot to book the bands. Of course. <laughs> so, Have you worked at Cold Rice before? <laughs> in another lifetime, maybe, yeah. But uh, So I need some help booking some bands. Okay. Fortunately, I've got a time machine. Well, this is wonderful. Yeah, so I'm going to lend that to you. So you can yeah. go back to any musical periods and pick yeah. any artist from any era. Okay. Uh, but first of all, you get to choose the form of your time machine. So how are you going to travel? How am I going to travel? I would love to travel in... A Ford Mustang. And I had a feeling I, you'd say that. Actually. And you know what? Like that sounds like <laughs> cliche, but I have actually been in a Ford Mustang when I was in the States. A friend of mine who works for Third Man Records for Jack White's label, she had a Mustang, but it wasn't a new one. It was a proper old one. Yeah. Like serious business. It was the coolest thing I've ever fucking sat in. It was incredible. So why not use that as a time machine? Did the Ford Mustang have an open top at any point? Um, her, hers didn't. It right. was black, 
and it was hot, leather seats, hot, and it creaked, but it was cool as shit. So wide, <laughs> so fucking wide, like you could literally sleep in there, it'd be fine. I'm trying to think, is that the, is that the, the car that B.B. King and Eric Clapton sat in, was that a different car? Maybe. I would imagine that would be a Cadillac, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it might have been a Cadillac, actually. Yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, Ford Mustang sounds just as cool to me. Nice one. Yeah. Okay, so day before the festival opens, there's a few bars open, so you can have a few beers and and uh, mingle with your fellow festival revelers. Um, yeah. so the next morning, it's going to be a late night, so the next morning, a bit worse for wear. You yeah. have to drop a couple of painkillers, perhaps. But you get a, a wake-up call first. Yeah. There's someone right outside your tent to give you a wake-up call. They're going to play some songs for you. Who's it going to be? Who's going to wake you up? This would have been a very different answer, I think, in my 20s. But now I've you know, reached the ripe old age of 40. It would have to be someone that would coax me out right, and, right. Get, and get me going. And I would have to say, and this would be you know, wonderful, and I might not leave the tent, to be honest, but Sade. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Sade. Sade to coax me out of that tent. I wasn't expecting Sade, I'll be honest. No, I mean, it would have been a very different answer many years ago, but now, if my head's banging and, I, and, I've, and I've been a silly boy, yeah. I want Sade to coax me and lure me out of my tent. Is this your, is this your dad's 80s influence? No, back? I love Sade. I think she's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I've always thought she's incredible. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm interested. What, what would your answer have been if you were in your 20s? Probably something noisy. Because yeah. I was like, yeah, come on. But, rude awakening, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and uh, now, Sade, definitely. Any particular song you'd like to hear from her? Sweetest Taboo, probably. Sweet but there are many. many, there are many. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If Lovely you ever stuff. want to chill out, I advise Bath, glass of red wine, Sade. <laughs> <laughs> Top tip, love it. Okay, well, Sade's... Uh, finished and she, you've managed she's managed to wake you up um and, you, yeah. and you're ready for the day you wipe the sleep from your eyes yeah a couple of painkillers i say nice little breakfast the festival is about to start but we yep. need someone to open the show so who's setting the tone putting out your festival vibes it's got to be someone that i really want to get out of the tent for especially after shy day serenaded me yeah um and i'd have to say keeping it like kind of not you know non-mega mega famous there's a band that i you know, any of my friends who might be listening to this podcast would go, oh, my God, a newbie talk about this band. But there's a band from Nashville that I love called Natural Child. Okay. They're incredible. They're like young kids, maybe not so young anymore, but they're, they're youngish kids, and they make really, really authentic garage country punk, and they're incredible. And I think that that would be something that I would get out of my tent for because I didn't want to miss and I wanted to show my support because you've always got a band that opens a festival that you, you know, you, you want to show the love to. For example, I went to that Strokes gig in London a couple of years ago and um, the Nude Party were opening. Mm. And the Nude Party are incredible, right? Amazing band. I was really glad to go down the front and see Nude Party. And I think Natural Child at my Dream Festival would get my shit together. So I'd get out and go and see them. And I advise anyone listening to this to go and check out any of Natural Child's records because they're amazing. Any, any, so any, anything particular you'd like to go for people to go and check out? I guess Okie Dokie, which mm. is their, it's not their last album. Uh, uh, the album before the last one's called Okie Dokie. It's incredible. There's a song called um, Benny's Here, which is actually an instrumental, but it sounds proper Laurel Canyon, trippy country. It's amazing. Go and check it out. Lovely, natural child it is. They are setting the tone for your show. Yes. So now it's time for your secret guests. So uh, suddenly there's some flyers appear yeah. with the promise of an exciting, previously unannounced guest set. Some flyers are going to circulate through the crowd and everyone's going to gather to this one place. Yeah. Wondering who is going to come through the curtain. Who yeah. is going to surprise your guests? It'd have to be Nirvana, I think. Just that would be surprising. Just to blow people's minds and mine. <laughs> Just to blow people. Because I never got to see them. I mean, my, my cousin Natalie, she had a, a... Whether this is urban myth or not, I don't know. But apparently people had tickets for a show at the Aston Villa Leisure Centre. They never happened. I don't know if that's true. But, um, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. And if it is true, and, and my cousin's not blagging to, blagging to me, then she had a ticket for that. And And... You know, I I, ne I never got to see them, but I would like to see them. So that would be the the one for me to. Right, I've woke up, I've seen that to a child, and then Nirvana come rocking out. Like, 
that would be that would be my my answer for the, to that question. I would enjoy that because I mean, yeah, like like yeah, I, I was just slightly too young for them. I think I was when did nine ninety four, so I was twelve then. So yeah, yeah, I just kind of missed the whole hysteria. I mean, at twelve, I wasn't really listening to music. I was more into my sports, if I'm perfectly honest. So yeah, it wasn't until a few years later I got into Nirvana. But yeah, as a surprise guest, I think that's definitely hit the nail on the head there. Wonderful, absolutely. Good stuff. Okay, well, it's time to get something to eat because yeah. we're absolutely exhausted from uh, throwing ourselves around in the mosh pit. Yeah. So uh, what is going to be your f- sort of festival grub that's going to keep you sustained for the rest of the day? There's only one answer for me. For the- I mean, obviously, I'm very lucky to play South by Southwest multiple times with local Connie and, 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 other, and other bands and do all the festivals. And my go-to movie is always tacos, always, always Mexican, always. I mean, I've been really spoiled with living in the states and even in your out and sticks towns there's a mexican restaurant which in birmingham you know we've got the, the taco place in sturchley which is you know recently opened up at cork and cage is really good and but really we're we're, we're behind in the, in the on the mexican food scene in birmingham personally i'm thinking anyway there needs to be more choice mm. if i was at a festival and actually, my, my Joni, my partner's just got tickets to uh, these. Is it Bigfoot Festival? In yeah, yeah. Warwick, yeah, with Palmer Screen Pain. And we had a conversation earlier. I was like, oh, I fucking hope there's tacos there. <laughs> I, I, it's always got to be uh, either a burrito or tacos, you know, or, 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 or something of that ilk for me. Tortilla. And I guess I, we, we're dealing with as well, like, my head's fuzzy, so I don't want to have to think too much about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, if if there's half decent Mexican food there, I'm always going to go for that because it's never going to disappoint me anyway. Any particular filling you'd like? Carnitas. Carnitas. Yeah, put put pork carnitas. I would I would say is my go-to move, especially if I'm hungover. Sour cream, guacamole, yeah. that sort of stuff. Just loads of hot sauce, and um, at that point in the day, I guess a cold Mexican beer, like you know, Pacifico is my favourite beer actually. Well, you're spilling your burrito everywhere and your tacos. Yeah, uh, and while you're doing that, picking it off the floor and whatever, whatever you want to yeah. do, I don't feel. I definitely would do that. So. You would. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know a few people that would. Um, but while you're doing that, there's a stage being set up. Yeah. And uh, someone's about to come and do an acoustic set for you. Now it could be okay. an acoustic artist or a non-acoustic artist, but they get get their acoustic instruments out and serenade you while you eat. So who is going to pluck up the courage to do that? I think acoustic artists for me, I, I struggle with them if you know if they're shit. So for me, it'd have to be Neil Young. Yeah. For me, if there were, if it was like like just an acoustic set by somebody, and I had my choice to see Neil Young just playing the way he does, digging in like Tommy Hughes does for Swamp Me, I'd have to see that. Oh, Tommy! Tommy's loving that comparison, isn't he? It, it, it would be. It would be. Yeah, it'd be. It'd be Neil. Young. It'd be Neil Young or Flying Burrito Brothers. Ah, Flying Burrito Brothers, yeah. But um, I, you know, I couldn't, I, I couldn't resist seeing Neil Young playing acoustic like that because every time I've seen it in video format, it's it absolutely blow my mind. Wonderful stuff. Well, luckily he's going to give you plenty of time to uh to munch on your tacos because he's going to do like ten choruses of "Keep on Rocking in the Free World." <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but so next we are going to go to the local acts. Yep. This is always one of my favourite questions because yep. I like to talk to local people about local music. Um, yep. So this could be a legendary band or a currently established band or an up-and-coming band that you think might uh, benefit for some festival exposure. So who are you digging on the local scene at the minute? I have to say it's not a band that, if I was going to choose local, it wouldn't necessarily be a band that are, that are going at, at the moment. And that's not to say that there aren't amazing bands around at the moment that I do love. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely but, your choice. But if I had a choice... One of the bands that have always blown my mind, and I'm lucky to call them my friends, but they they still, even with hindsight and nostalgia, are one of the finest things to ever come out of Birmingham is Copter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, C- 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 Copter, I mean, Copter for me, they are the ultimate, you know, rock and soul band. And to come out of this city and and, and, and see them at their, at their peak w- was a religious experience. And upon reflection, it, it, it still was. And, and I was lucky enough to go to New York with them, if, you know, and, and they recorded, you know, a lot of Can't Help It, they, uh, sorry, Strangers Tales, their first record over there. And lucky enough to call them, you know, my friends. 
aside from that, Kupta still blow my mind. Listening to the music and, and, and also remembering what they were like live. Yeah. So I'll we'll um, get them back. I listened to uh, their live EP that he, they recorded in, was it in Brazil? Yeah. Caffeine, was it? Good. Yeah, I was, I was there with them. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought you were, actually. Just like you say, that kind of soulful, yet yeah, garage, um, yeah. rock and roll, just wonderful vocals. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you'd, if you'd have taken out the harmonica and put a brass section in, you wouldn't be out of place at a soul gig. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. One of those. So, what? What do you know? What they're doing now? Are they? I think they're on. They're on hiatus. I mean, um, you know, never say never. I think that there there might be something happening later in the year where they might rear their heads. But I'm not going to say any more. Oh, you tease. <laughs> but um, they were they were and still are a massive inspiration for me. Um, and now actually, I need to give you a. Because because they're not on Spotify and stuff. There's a record that they did called "Can't Help It," which was the mm. last record that, that actually has horns on it. That that record is um, massively under listened to and massively underrated. But yeah, Copter would be my local act that I would that would give me um, a sort of mid afternoon absolute high that would be very hard to uh, beat. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you've got any influence uh, in that area whatsoever, keep keep poking, keep prodding. Yeah, of course. Tend to get it together because if they're yeah if they're going to do some shows I'm going to that for yep. absolute certain. Wonderful. Well, it's time now to come to the intimate set. Yeah. So there's a tent that holds around thirty or so people. So yeah. It's a bit of a squeeze. But who do you want to go and see up close and personal in a sort of intimate setting? It might it might break me, but I'd like to see Tammy Terrell and Marvin. <laughs> oh. It might break me. It might break me, but like that, that like first of all, Marvin could be my headliner. You know, it could be yeah. at any point. You could have worked me up, to be fair, in the tent. Yeah. But that relationship between Marvin and Tammy and and their vocals and what she meant to him and and her death and everything like that, to see them two do a performance to, with with only like thirty people there. I mean, and there's there's multiple choices for for these questions, but I think. For me, that would be fucking incredible, wouldn't it? <laughs> to, 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 to see those two perform in front of 30 people, you know, like, and even, you know what? Even if it was a cappella, oh. like, even if there was nothing else but them two singing, that would be the one. I'd be walking outside the tent going, shh. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this. Oh, I can't believe you've gone to gay as well. It's, yeah, Matt. Well, uh, have you seen that footage of him lying down in a tracksuit? Yeah, oh, I've, I've, mentioned, I've mentioned it on this podcast before. Oh, <laughs> fuck that shit, man. That is where it's at. Like, yeah. that is gangster. <laughs> when, he, when he's just saying, like, we vamp here, we vamp here, he's lying down in a grey tracksuit. Man, that geezer. Just yeah. unreal, unreal. I mean, you're a, you're a singer. You know how difficult it is to sing sitting down, lying down, whilst moving around. He yeah. Could, he, he just sounded as good lying uh, down as he did if he was well, stood up. Un, unreal. Unreal. Probably my favourite singer ever, I think. Yeah. He, he's definitely um, he's definitely in my top five, for sure. Ah, oh, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm getting a bit emotional just thinking about them two together, actually. Oh, imagine. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh. All right. Oh, breathe, Pete. <laughs> breathe, Pete. <laughs> Um, okay, it's now time for possibly my favourite question, actually. This is the full album performance. Yep. Who do you want to see? Whose album would you want to see performed in its entirety by the artist that, that wrote I've and recorded just, it? I've actually discussed this quite a lot. And one of the continuous, well, one of the answers that always comes up for me, and I'm going to use it for this, is Tom Waits' Mule Variations. Yeah. yeah. Um, Carlton and Stewie went to see... Tom Waits on the Mule Variations tour and sitting in front of them was Johnny Depp and Keith Richards. And they tell me this Obviously. story all the time and it pisses me right off. <laughs> but I would love to see Mule Variations in its full. Now, there are other albums I would love to see in their entirety. I would love to hear the White Album in its entirety. Mm. You know, there, there are many, but to see Mule Variations as I listen to it, probably more than I should. <laughs> would be unbelievable that would be unbelievable yeah i think you i mean you could probably pick any 
any Waits album to just listen to in its entirety, oh, I reckon. Yeah, for sure. But for yeah, sure. Mule, Mule Variations is a... Is, I think was, it, for me, for me it, was just, it was around the same time that Cole Royce happened, hmm. Colton and Steve introduced me to stuff I hadn't really heard before. And, and, and some of that was like, you know, the Johnny Cash American series albums... There was a lot of Frank Sinatra that Carl and Steve introduced me to. There was all the cold, all the underground stuff. But Tom Waits was, was an artist that I had had heard before and and liked. But Mule Variations came out, you know, around that time. It was kind of like mid, mid to late nineties. And um, coming up to the house, taking with me, Chocolate Jesus. Um, like for me, I never tire of that record, and to hear it in its entirety would be something that I would really, really like to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a very, very good shout indeed. And, I mean, if it was me picking this, I mean, Tom Waits could probably fill any of these slots, apart from the low I'd flats, obviously. I'd have waking me up outside my tent. <laughs> exactly. Would you go for, would you go for, oh, 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 or would you go for the sort of sweet, tender stuff from, probably from his like, early career? Probably like Saturday night or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Or Blue Valentine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Blue Valentine. <laughs> you do a really good impression there. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, brilliant. So Mule Variations has, yep. uh, has, has ended. But the sun is now going down, Dan. Yeah. The party's about to begin. So your headline yep. is getting ready. But spare yep. someone just to get things warmed up. Now, yep. it could go two ways. Could go sort of dusky and mellow. Or you could just sort of go, right, let's go party mode now. What are you going to go for? I'm going to go for Credence. Ah. Purely because I've never... I've never seen them, and I and I absolutely love Credence Clearwater. I do. Yeah. And like when when me and Rich really, with me and Rich always discuss sounds, right? So me and Rich will spend an evening talking about snares, right? <laughs> our, our favorite snare sound is Foggy Ocean, Velvet Underground, right? And me and him listen to it, and now you know we've been hanging out with Tim Felton from Broadcast. The amount of time we spend like listening to a snare or a fucking bass note. Um, Credence for me, their, their sound on their records blows my tiny mind, and I would love to see them live. Mm. Even though um, Fogarty, his reputation is a bit of a dick, but however, so are most people. So Credence for me would be the one to like sort of get me ready for the headliner, and I would just love to see him. Yeah, you could go back and get him on a good day. That that'd be fine. Yes. Yeah. 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 And of course, Credence. Make an appearance in one of my favourite films of all time, The Big Lebowski. So, oh, definitely. You know what though? I've got a, I've got a soft spot for a couple of Eagle songs. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Lion Eyes. I'm I'm a fan of. I have to be honest. I, I don't mind. I don't mind. I'm not sure what you know Jeff's problem with the with the Eagles was. Just, I know. Yeah, hit the fucking Eagles, man. I mean, I get it, but like it's the same way. Well, like like Stephen Carl, they all take the piss out of me because I'm a big fan of Billy Joel, The Stranger, that album. I love it. Okay, and I get a lot. Of, I get a lot of cussies for that, but Credence, uh, I'd love to see him. Especially I think, that's like, I think I think it's a singer's thing as well, you know, with the with the Eagles because their harmonies. Oh man! I mean, I'm sure you've seen that clip of them when they're warming up backstage with yeah. the six of them just doing six can't part fuck harmony. About with that, they're just they are incredible. You really can't, can you? No. No, there we go. Okay, well, it's, we're going to have some credence. Fantastic. Yeah. So now it's time for the headliner. It's time for your main attraction. Who is going to be closing your show? This could be many, many people, and I'm sure this is the case for most of the, the, the wonderful guests that you get on this show. Of course. But for me, it would have to be Otis Redding. Ah. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, it'd have to be. It would have to be. Oh. Because, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story now, right? When, when I first joined Local Cano years ago, I was fortunate enough to be in Nashville around Record Store Day in April. And I think it was 2009, 2010. And Jerry Lee Lewis was supposed to be playing outside Third Man Records in the parking lot opposite. And the weather was shit. Right. And I'm talking like biblical. Yeah. So they, they had to put it back a day, right? But they... Agreed with Jerry Lee Lewis to play inside Third Man. And fortunately, because I've got a pal who, who runs Third Man, I got invited in. And he played this show, Jerry Lee Lewis did, right? And this this story ain't about Jerry Lee Lewis, which is incredible anyway, right? Yeah. Bobby Keys was comparing. But playing guitar 
for Jerry Lee Lewis at this show, which and there was there was there was there was forty people there. One of them was Ted Dancer, and one of them was Neil Young. It's insane, right? But the the guy playing guitar for Jerry Lee Lewis was Steve Cropper. Ah, oh, no way. My friend Ben Swank, who you know runs Third Man Records, said to me, oh, who do you want to meet?" And I said, "You know what? Like, I'd love to meet Steve Cropper, but I don't want to intrude." It was just for me. I was just I, I, I was supposed to watch him in a car park. That was fine. Sat on the sofa at, at Third Man. Steve Cropper sits next to me, and he and he and he asks me to carry his amp to his car. And I think this is a bit of a setup, really, from Swank. But we talk a lot about Otis, and he says to me, ask me any questions you want. And I was like, you know, being starstruck, you know, like it doesn't really happen. But that time I was, but he was so lovely. And he said, look, ask me any questions you want. And we just talked about Otis, and he talked about writing Dock of the Bay. He talked about working with Otis and, 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 and the sadness and the loss, but also the joy that he was so close to Otis and so part, such an important part of his life, that for me was like, you know, an hour of my life where I felt a direct connection to, you know, Otis Redding through obviously one of his good friends. Yeah. So for me, seeing Otis live at a festival, especially lit in the way that he was, is it Monterey Pop when he's, you know, yeah, is yeah. It, yeah. like that for me, would be would be as a headliner man uh i'm getting emotional thinking about otis <laughs> yeah man <laughs> he's one of my, my one of my biggest inspirations as a, as a singer definitely yeah. um i'm all about the soul so it's some of my earliest sort of ventures into life before we were performing otis songs you know what i mean amazing amazing yeah that's that's the second incredible Otis Reading story I've had on this podcast now. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's really. I, you great. know, in fact, I've got I've I've still I still treasure the photo of me standing outside. And you know what? That motherfucker was driving his own car. He was dri- he, he lived in Memphis and he drove to Nashville to Third Man for this show that he was playing guitar for for Jerry Lee Lewis. He was driving his I loaded his amp into his own car. He was driving and I've got a photo that I'll send to you. Of me and Steve Cropper standing at the boot of his car with 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 his amping, amazing. Um, but to hear those stories and that love coming through for, for Otis and 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 him writing the songs with him and stuff was it was incredible. So seeing Otis Redding, you know, um, if I had the Ford Mustang time machine, would be the would be the headliner. Any particular favourite songs of yours? I mean, there's loads, but there could be many. So there yeah. could be many. There could be many. There's too many. We'll just have a notice set reading greatest hits mm-hmm. and then maybe a section where it's just him and a piano, maybe. Yes, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. Brilliant. Well, the lights are going down on the stage. Yeah. But someone mentions a little jam session happening at the, uh, the top of the hill on the campfire. Yeah. And they invite you along so you can maybe take a guitar or, or yeah. just take yourself. But when you get there, there's someone completely unexpected there. And they want to have a little jam with you, a little jam session around the campfire to bring your festival to a close. So who who who's that going to be with? Before I answer this question, and I have got somebody in mind. Yeah. Like, I remember playing a festival once called Apple Tarts Festival in in Kent, mm. and we got to, we, we this situation happened. We were got on our way to our tents, and there was someone playing like Wonderwall or some bullshit like that. <laughs> Although I do like Wonderwall. Of course, you're an Oasis fan, obviously. I, I am an Oasis fan. Yeah. Um, so that vibe of like someone sitting around a, a campfire playing an acoustic guitar doesn't really interest me. However, if I was to, if I, if I'm in charge of choosing who it is, yeah, it would have to be Bill Withers. Oh, it would have to be Bill Withers playing the acoustic like he does on old grey whistle test playing. Use me playing. Um, what's the one I love me and Carlton love Harlem. No, who, who is he to you? Who is he to you? Yeah. 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 Like him on an acoustic would get rid of all of those Ed Sheeran motherfuckers. <laughs> like, serious business. Like, if I'm going to sit and listen at four o'clock in the morning off my head to somebody play acoustic guitar, it's got to be Bill Withers. Ah, Dan. It's like you've just sort of reached into my head and pulled out <laughs> all my favourite shit. <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen that film still, Bill? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Amazing. He was a yeah. genius. He was a genius. Yeah. 
he was a genius and something that I love about him is that he didn't I don't think he even picked up a guitar till he was in his 30s did he no 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 he, he was a he was a late bloomer and also yeah. he made a few albums and got the fuck out of there he just went you know what this 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 shit's mad yeah so but, I, you know I've got I've got a lot of love for the guy anyway and to be fair Bill's another one that could have been at many other points absolutely he, he, you know in, in any point in the festival he he could have played but you know, seeing him at a campfire at the end of the night would have, 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 have reaffirmed my, my joy of life. <laughs> oh, do you know, because, I, I mean, he obviously he died last year. Yeah. I don't think I've actually processed it yet. No, normally. Normally. I mean, I, I just... He, he, he's a, a, a genuine advert for a great human being, regardless of the talent, regardless. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I was... I, I was expecting to cry my eyes out when he did go yeah didn't quite happen yes but i think that was just with lockdown and you know what's going on and give i'm not gonna call. do it now give me a call when it does and we'll do it together yeah we'll do it together we'll, 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 we'll have some beers and we'll listen to all of his songs and we'll, we'll, we'll happily cry tears of joy together yeah did you listen to um was it live at carnegie hall did you get that yeah. album? incredible yeah. incredible yeah i love that album well, Dan, this has been an absolute delight. It's, it's been, been a, a joy. It's been a joy, mate. Fantastic festival. We've had so much good stuff. We've had Sade, we've had Natural Child, Nirvana, Neil Young, Copter, Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye. What a yep. highlight that is. Yeah. Tom Waits, Play Me All Variations, Credence, Otis Redding, Bill Withers. Yes. It's been absolutely incredible. Just before you go, where can people keep up to date with you and what's coming up next for you? What's the next thing you're promoting? Well, Swan Meat Family Band are all over like Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. We are putting something together, which I can't announce. I've been told I can't announce it. That's fine. We're, we're looking at May and it's going to be a wonderful thing that we've been working on for a very long time, which is very stripped back. It's got pedal steel. It's got keys. Think Neil Young comes a time. Joni's vocals are play a huge part in what we're going to do. It's looking at the moment like it's going to be towards the end of May. Mm. Um, I can't give you the date and I can't give you the venue, but it's going to be a limited number of tickets, social distance, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. So all I would say to people that are into Swamp Me is just keep your eyes out over the next few weeks on on, on Instagram particularly. And we'll be announcing, hopefully, something that we'll, you know, we, we've been wanting to do for a very long time. We're really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to um, to seeing everyone and doing this thing that we wanted to do for a while. But that, that that's the next thing in the pipeline. New EP, hopefully being recorded this summer by Tim Felton from Broadcast. There's some guest players on that, including the guys from Brain Food. We've got, hopefully, Phil from St. Alto. I love uh, Phil, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, hopefully, we've got... Uh, who else have we got on that record? Oh, I forget now. There loads of guest players on that record, which we haven't made yet, but we're going to hopefully be making in the summer. But anyway, before that, end of May, hopefully soon, you'll hear something about this this gig that's going to be sort of our opportunity to do some live music again. Brilliant. And uh, the film, when was that out again? I know that it goes to Cannes in May or June. When it's going to be out on public release in theatres, I imagine theatres now, actually, because June 21st, we're all running free, infecting everyone. So <laughs> I, I would imagine after after Cannes, so August, September, hopefully. Um, if cinemas are open, I would imagine that it's going to be in cinemas. I don't know. I'm just uh, making the soundtrack, so I'm not the business mind behind it. But Fair the enough. film's called Fixed. And, you know, it showcases a lot of Birmingham talent. So hopefully people will go and see it. Brilliant. Well, Dan, this has been absolutely fantastic. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Keep doing what you're doing. If you need any more guest vocals on the next Swamp Meat record, just give me a Well, we're call. doing this we're doing this um we're doing this EP in the summer, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tap you up on that. Well, I mean, I think it'd be only right if you came and saw me first, just in case you think No, oh, that's, that's not, not the that's way not, it works. That's not appropriate. You're signing up now. You're signing up now. <laughs> and even if you end up like, you know, just playing the triangle or something, but you sign up now, you sign up now. <laughs> I, am, I am a mean cowbell player. Oh, that's all that matters. <laughs>
Well, there we have it. You are listening to the newest member of the family, introducing me as the official cowbeller for Swamp Meat Family Band. But I will be well in the background, almost like I'm not even there. Uh, my sincerest thanks to Dan. As you can probably tell from my reactions, I was absolutely buzzing. After that, I had to go and sub me a whiskey, bring me back down to earth. Uh, remember to sign up to the Patreon at patreon.com slash dreamfestpod and you'll get some extra content bonus questions with Dan, uh, including who he's hanging out with backstage, um, who he's going to jump on stage with and sing that one song, and who makes his ultimate band lineup. Uh, after you've done that, of course, you can go and get some uh, Swamp Meat Family Band merch, uh, music. Uh, go to swampmeatsfamilyband.bandcamp.com or you can go to their label website, Punk Slime, which is spelled P-N-K-S-L-M. So it's Punk Slime without the vowels. Punkslime.com for some bundle deals for music and merch at the same time. There is a stripped back gig uh, I could have told you about at the Heron Hounds. Well, I'm telling you about it now. It's at the end of May, but... Uh, as it's socially distanced and there's limited tickets, it's already sold out. So I suggest you go and follow them on their social media channels uh, for more infos on shows, because I'm sure there'll be some more to shout about. Assuming, of course, we keep opening things up and not go back to square one anytime soon. Uh, remember to also keep an eye out for that Brummy film, Fixed, which is due out sometime within the year, we think. Uh, the trailer that Dan spoke about is not available for public uh, consumption just yet, but uh, if you go and follow him and Richard March on their Instagram accounts, which is at Marchmore, uh, more is M-O-R-E, so that's Marchmore underscore film underscore scores, bit of a mouthful, I'll say it again, it's follow at Marchmore underscore film underscore scores, go to Instagram, follow them, and they, I'm, I'm sure, will shout about it as soon as it is released. Uh, you can follow this podcast on Facebook twitter and instagram all at dreamfest pod my thanks again to dan for his generosity of time to rich farmer for the artwork to jane powell for the music and to the brum radio podcast channel for hosting and to you for listening join me next time where there'll be another wonderful guest hopping into their time machine and curating their dream festival lineup but until then stay safe look after each other and remember if you book them they will come bye bye <laughs>